If you have your Bibles this morning, and I trust that you do, if you can open with me to the Gospel of John chapter 4. The Gospel of John chapter 4. And welcome to week 3 of our miracle series where we are walking through the miracles of Jesus and just looking at these miracles, understanding, as you see on the screen, that nothing is impossible with Him. But here's what I also know. I also know that Miracles can be a difficult topic for the world and even for Christians. And to think about it like this, for those of us who hold to the truthfulness of God, we also hold to the truthfulness of His Word. And if His Word is true, then that also means that we must hold by faith that every miracle within this book is also true. So even when turning water into wine, even... When the virgin birth, even when the resurrection of Christ simply run against modern sensibilities, we still must believe them to be true. And just, just think about this. From the standpoint of modern sensibilities, consider the outlandish headlines that we often see when we're waiting in line at the grocery store um, to the left of us and these things called national inquirers. Here's a few of the headlines that I was able to, to find. Illinois man gives birth to twins. So maybe you saw that and it was like, huh, or severed leg hops to the hospital. Would love to see that one. Or man's 174 mile an hour uh, sneeze blows wife's hair off. That's an awesome one. And then woman gives birth to angel. Now we all know better than that one. But the skeptic will ask, well, do you believe these things as well? So do you believe these things? And of course, any reasonable person would go, um, no, these things aren't true. And then the skeptical person would then say, so by your own admission, you're saying that you don't believe in miracles. So just think about it. The assumption is that if you can't believe the unlikely headlines of the National Enquirer, then we shouldn't be believing um, the stories of the Bible either. And I know a lot of people get tripped up with the miracles in this book. Even Christians aren't always sure what to make of the biblical stories of these miraculous healings, other than to say that God is ridiculously powerful. And that's kind of where sometimes we, we leave it. But here's what we know. Here's what I know. And here's kind of what is strange. There are people that we know who have no faith in God whatsoever, Yet, if their favorite team is down by six points and somehow with zero time on the clock, they throw up a Hail Mary and they catch it in the end zone and they win and kick the extra point, guess what they're saying? It was a miracle. It was a miracle. We see this all the time. Or, and other kind of more serious things, when people who are in accidents where everyone says they should not have made it, yet they um, did and they say it was a a miracle. Let me just say this. I, I've talked to people who have said, I'm just a miracle. And then I listen to them and I say, God, if that's what a miracle is, I don't want one. I mean, you, you begin to listen to people who say they're miracles. And it's like, that's not what a miracle has, must look like. I mean, there, there's got to be something by which if God is the God of the miracles and he does a miracle in our lives, it's to change us more into his glory, not less. I'm just, that's just my two cents. I'll, I'll move on. But just, there's so many people who stand against the miraculous. I think of David Hume, the 18th century Scottish philosopher, who defined miracles in this way. It's a violation of the laws of nature, therefore it's impossible. 
In an opposite viewpoint, Pastor Tim Keller defines a miracle in this way. The intervention of God into the natural order. So you have one who says it's a violation of the natural laws, therefore it can't happen. You have another um, God-centered that says, no, God is able to come into the natural order and do what he wants to. Why? Because he created it all. So how do you bring these two together? I, um, I have two C.S. Lewis quotes. One is going to be on the screen, but this isn't it. But C.S. Lewis came to this conclusion. I like this. He said, there is no use going to the text of Scripture until we have some idea about the possibility or probability of the miraculous. Those who assume that miracles cannot happen are merely wasting time by looking into the scriptures. We know in advance what results they will find, meaning they won't believe. Yet let me say this, there is nothing illogical about miracles if a creator God exists. So if, God, if there is a God who exists, who created all of the universe and its complexity and all of its vastness, then that God is able to come into his universe, come into his earth, and do whatever he so pleases. And I love the words of, of C.S. Lewis here. So this is the one. He says this, Miracles are a retelling in small letters of the very same story which is written across the whole world and letters too large for some of us to see. Let me say it again. He says, miracles are a retelling in small letters of the very same story which is written across the whole world in letters too large for some of us to see. Meaning, God has written across this universe His glory. And it's so huge, and it's so big, and yet it's so big that some people who are lost cannot and refuse to see it. They refuse to see it. So we, we are coming to the miracles of Christ in this series, and in doing so, we must acknowledge that there is nothing more evident in all of the Gospels than the miracles of Jesus. So you have to read the Gospels, and as you read the Gospels, Jesus is doing miracles. And they always point not to um, just what he does, they always point to who he is and why he came. Yet, there are some who still won't see. They can't see. The God of this age, according to Scripture, has blinded their eyes. So what do we do with these miracle stories, especially as we encounter people who so desperately need the miraculous in their own lives? How do we determine the main emphasis of, of the miracles as we go through one after one after one? And here's what we do. We go through this series, this miracle series, the miracles of Christ, knowing that not only are Jesus' miracles a challenge to our mind, get this, they are a promise to our hearts. The miracles of Christ are not only a challenge to our minds, we can't wrap our minds around them, they're also a promise to our very hearts. That nothing is impossible with him. And that we serve a God who is able to work even the most terrible things for good. So if you are able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we honor God's word. We're going to read John 4, verses 46 through 54. And today I am entitling this message, Healed from a Distance. Healed from a Distance. And beginning at verse 46, it says this. So he came again to Cana in Galilee, where he had made the water wine. And at Capernaum, there was an official whose son was ill. 
And when this man heard that Jesus had come from Judea to Galilee, he went to him and asked him to come down and heal his son, for he was at the point of death. So Jesus said to him, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And the official said to him, sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus said to him, go, your son will live. The man believed the word that Jesus spoke to him and went on his way. As he was going down, his servants met him and told him that his son was recovering. So he asked them the hour when he began to get better. And they said to him yesterday, at the seventh hour, the fever left him. The father knew that was the very hour when Jesus had said to him, your son will live. And he himself believed and all his household. This was now the second sign that Jesus did when he came from Judea to Galilee. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you. And Lord, we know that as we continue to go through this series, that our minds are going to be challenged with just the impossibilities of what we see. But yet, Lord, there are promises in every miracle that are meant to encourage our hearts. Meant to lift up and hold our hearts with promises of you. Today we pray as we come to your word that your spirit would, as it always does, come alongside your word and just show us what it is we must see. Equip us and empower us to do, Lord, what it is you are calling us to do. Lord, we say as Samuel, Lord, speak for we are listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, and you may be seated. So think about what we are seeing here. We see Jesus kind of going back to Canaan. Last week we looked at the first miracle that Jesus did um, in Canaan, turning water into wine. And here's what I would say. Sometimes we need to go back to the, a place where we have experienced a miracle, where we need to go back to the place where God has done something undeniable. We need to go back. We need to hit our knees. We need to thank God for what he has done. We need to allow God to reset our hearts and our minds. We need to allow God to renew the faith um, in our hearts that we once had, that we need in our lives. Think of it like this. If you're, if you're Lazarus, you need to go back to the tomb and put flowers on your own grave. If you're Zacchaeus, you need to go again and climb that sycamore tree. If you're Paul, you need to hop on that horse and go to the road um, leading to Damascus and see where the place where God knocked you off your horse and changed you forever. If you're Peter, you need to jump in a boat and row out to the place where Jesus called you out to walk on water. If you're Elijah, you need to go again to Mount Carmel where 450 prophets of Baal were defeated. If you're David, you need to go again to that valley where a almost 10-foot giant was defeated by the power of God. If you're Moses, you need to go again to the burning bush, where you encountered Yahweh, the self-existent one. And if you're Jesus, you need to go again to Cana. And I know, so just stay with me here, I know that Jesus is in a category all by himself. He's in the category of one. So he's in a category of one, yet the facts are facts. It says Jesus came again or went again to Cana. He came again. And we often, 
We need to revisit the places in our lives where God has done the miraculous because if left to ourselves, brothers and sisters, we forget. We forget. We forget, first of all, we forget that God has saved us from the wrath that we deserve. God saved us from our sins, and we forget that. We forget all the little things that God does every day of our lives. We forget so many things that God has done that we should never, ever forget. So when we come to to John 4, beginning at verse 46, we are quickly introduced to a government official who comes to Jesus and This definitely makes sense to us. When your child is um, near death, you will move heaven and earth to help them. And when your strength gives out, you will most often humble yourself before the maker of heaven and earth. So you'll move heaven and earth, and when your strength is gone, um, you'll bow yourself before the maker of heaven and earth, or, or as believers, hopefully, we'll start there. But many times the script has to flip in order for us to acknowledge God for who he is. Meaning we have to become weak before we are able to acknowledge that our strength is not enough. And then maybe, just maybe, we will seek one whose strength is greater than ours. Yet what we're going to see this morning is that seeking God for a miracle, seeking Jesus for a miracle is not enough. It's not enough. We're going to see that at the end. And I, I hope you will um, follow me till we get there. But let me just say this. This official came from Capernaum to Cana. Cana was 20 miles away from Capernaum, and it was 700 feet above it. So when the father says, come down with me to um, Capernaum, he was saying, we're going to take a little trip down because the father had taken a trip up. He had walked 20 miles um, uphill through some rugged terrain. And let me just say this this morning. Sometimes our faith can be measured in miles. Our faith can be measured in the miles that we travel to get to God or to do what God tells us to do. In this case, 20 miles of faith. Even though, as we're going to see, it was weak faith. And let me just say this. I'm not talking about earning miracles. As we saw last week, though, sometimes we must be willing to do the natural before God will do the supernatural. So we can't earn a miracle from God any more than we can earn our own salvation. We can't do it. We can't manipulate God. We can't use effort. um, Or we can't use um, earning anything. But we can use our effort. And let me just say that. Um, we can use effort to come to God and we can use effort to obey God. Someone has said that grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is opposed to earning. Grace is opposed to earning. Earning is an attitude. Effort is an action. So think about the needs that you have in your life. What are you willing to do to see God work? Are you willing to walk to Cana? Are you willing, like Israel, to circle Jericho for seven days? Are you willing, like Naaman, to dip in the Jordan seven times? Are you willing, like Elijah, to bow down and pray for rain seven times? Are you willing, like Elijah and the prophets, or Isaiah and the prophets, excuse me, to proclaim an unpopular message to an unbelieving people over and over and over again? Here's my point, and I want to be very, very careful how I say this and what you hear. Our effort won't make miracles happen, but our lack of effort can sometimes keep miracles from happening. 
And I'm not saying that we do this and we bargain with God. That's not what I'm saying. But sometimes, brothers and sisters, we have to take the journey. We have to do what God has called us to do. We have to believe him enough to take the journey. And we'll kind of dissect this a little more. But what I want to do is I want us to turn and, and turn again to the word of God. I want us to unpack three truths related to Jesus' undeniable authority that allowed him to heal from a distance. So think about it like this. So three truths. First is this. First truth, healings were done um, by the authority of Christ. So we see here... Um, this individual was healed by the authority of Christ. And here's what I know. And think about this. You and I, we are limited in our authority. Now, all of us in this room, we have some authority. But our authority is fragile and our authority is limited. And when we feel powerless in our authority, we will either turn to a more powerful one or we will try to control the situation, always making it worse. Anybody relate to that? When we begin to lose control, either we can give it up to God or we will tighten our grips and we will say, let's ride this thing to the end. And normally we will make it worse and we will even um, it'd be a disaster to relationships and other things around us. And one of the things that we see Jesus doing here is he's saying, I have power over human weakness and you don't. At your strongest and at my strongest, we are utterly weak and there are so many texts in this book that are trying to teach us that meekness that weakness that desperation that brokenness are a launching pad for Christ's power in our lives that those things that weakness and desperation and brokenness are a launching pad for Christ's power in our lives. And not what, what I'm not saying is this, that we're weak, so therefore Christ has to do what we want him to do. No, but every time Christ comes, God, you know, we, we have a saying that we say oftentimes in our, our Christian saying that God showed up and showed out. Every time God shows up, he never shows up with weakness. He never shows up with just enough. He always shows up in power. Amen. That is the God that we, God never shows up and goes, that is almost going to be enough. It's almost going to be enough to get you there and hopefully you'll be able to do it. Or I'm giving you just enough in this situation. No, God always shows up in his power and in his strength. And this is the, the whole point. The authority of Christ calls us to rest in his authority and not try to flex our own. For when we flex our own, we make it worse. And just think about the authority of Jesus here on display. So Jesus says to this father, go, your son will live. And it says the man believed and he was going down and his servants came to him and said um, he's better. And the father says, what time? And they told him yesterday, the seventh hour. And the father knew that it was the very hour that Jesus had said, your son will live. And just think about this. The question in Jesus's ministry was never, did he perform miracles? Everyone knew he was performing miracles. The question was, by whose authority was he performing miracles? He was accused of performing miracles um, in the name of Beelzebub, in the name of the devil. He was um, accused in that way. And John wants us to see something. John wants us to see that not only the grace of healing, God wants us to, or John wants us to see the power of healing. The power of Jesus is seen in the fact that Jesus healed this boy with just a command. And it was not a command to the boy, it was a command to the father, go. 
Go. Get out of my face. Go. I mean, that was the point. And at one word, the physical chemistry of this boy's body changed. And here's what I want you to understand. The distance was no hindrance. The boy was 20 miles away, but it didn't matter if he was 200 miles away, 2,000 miles away, or let me even say this, 2,000 years away. It did not matter. When Jesus speaks with authority, there are no spatial limitations that can come between his great power and what he is proclaiming. And here's what I want you to understand. The power of his healing is seen in the fact that it was Immediate. At the very moment when Jesus spoke, it was done. Don't miss. Don't miss the power of God in the seventh hour. Don't miss the power of God in that moment. We don't know the moment that God might come into us and bring a miracle into our lives. But here's what we do know. Ecclesiastes 3.7 says, He will make all things beautiful in His time. Or in its time. Not always according to the way we want it to be. But this is his authority. There are at least two other times in scripture where Jesus healed from a distance. And we're about to look at those. But for now, just bask in the authority of Christ over disease, over death, over time, over space. All authority in heaven and on earth is his. And Jesus gets the last word. He gets the last word. So healed by the authority of Christ. And secondly, secondly, healings were accomplished through the audacity of man. So just follow with me here. Think about the type of people who came to Jesus and yet Jesus said, I'll do it. I mean, when we speak of audacity, let me remind you that this guy that came to Jesus, this father was an official. He was a royal official. He would have been a royal official serving under Herod Antipas, who was the son of King Herod. Herod Antipas was a wicked man. He married his brother's wife. John the Baptist says, no, that's a bad thing. Herod Antipas had his head removed from him. And this royal official worked under this terrible individual. Yet this royal official, who most people said was a Gentile, had the audacity and the boldness to come to Jesus. He had a need Jesus is the answer. Let me go to him. Look with me. Turn to Matthew 8. Let me just show you these two other stories. In Matthew 8, and you'll see a common theme here, that the people that are coming to Jesus are not insiders, they're outsiders. In Matthew chapter 8, beginning at verse 5, when you get there, so it says this, When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servants, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, um, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Meaning from outside, people are coming in, in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, and the centurion 
or, and to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. So think about the audacity of this Roman centurion. He had a hundred men underneath him. And let me just remind you, Rome was not an uh, upstanding place. It was a cruel, vicious place who looked down upon Christ and eventually would look down upon all of his followers. And yet this centurion didn't know what to do. So he comes to Jesus with audacity and with a great faith to say, I'm not even worthy to have you come into my house, but I believe that if you say a word, it will be done. And then look at Matthew 15. Look at Matthew 15. One other story here. Matthew 15, similar picture of just audacious faith. Beginning at verse 22, when you get there, it says this, And behold, a Canaanite woman, so understand that, another outsider, another, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. But he did not answer her a word. And his disciples came and begged him, saying, Send her away, for she is crying out after us. So the disciples said, Jesus, just send her away. She's making things worse for us. And he answered, verse 24, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. And he answered, it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. She said, yes, Lord, yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. And Jesus answered her, O woman, great is your faith. Be it done for you as you desire. And her daughter was healed instantly. So just again, think about the audacity of this Canaanite woman to come. All three of these stories describe outsiders who had the audacity to come to Christ. The first one in John 4, apparently when he first came, he didn't have great faith because Jesus said, you're only coming because you see signs and wonders, but yet his faith was brought to um, absolute culmination when he saw the miracle and believed in Christ. And yet you see in John or Matthew 8, Roman centurion, great faith. Here a Canaanite woman, great faith. And let me ask you a question. Do you have someone you love who needs healing or cleansing from the great physician? Go to him audaciously, boldly on their behalf. Now here's what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that if if it doesn't happen the way you want it to happen, it means your faith wasn't strong enough. No, that is not true. Understand this. We are living in a modern society where we are told that if God doesn't heal, then God must not be powerful. We forget, brothers and sisters, that the greatest healing that God could ever do is to bring us to him. Amen. It is the healing of all healings by which there is no more suffering, no more pain. And here's what I... I know, I know there have been times in my life, I think about my, my father's death, I think about others, there have been times in my life where I have found myself praying, God, with just a word, all with just a word, you could speak and it would go away. God, just a word. That's all it takes. And I remember praying that over dad, and I remember recently praying that over brother Stanley. And God ministered in, my, in that moment to my heart and said, don't you worry, I will get the last word. And that last word will be well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into my presence forever. Amen. He gets the last word. Again, distance is no barrier for the power of Christ. 
And often we, we ask, but we have doubts whether our prayers are going to be answered. And as the, the Father here, we must ask and we must proceed believing that our prayer is already answered, that we may not see the results or though it may not be as we want it to be. But even if it isn't instantaneously, here's what we know. God will answer in His time, in His way, for His glory. Let's ask with boldness, though. And let's ask with audacity, knowing this. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor God. God honors bold prayers because bold prayers honor Him. So, we see this picture of healed by the authority of Christ. Secondly, healed through the audacity of man and coming to Christ. And then lastly, healings were displayed as an agency of salvation. So don't miss this. Don't miss the whole point of Jesus doing these miracles was not to point people to Jesus as David Copperfield. It was to point people to him as their savior. To show them that they had a greater need than physical healing. Their greater need was spiritual healing. Healing. Their greatest need was salvation. Sometimes, brothers and sisters, we stop short. It did my heart good. And I'm still praying last week to hear Mike and Nora. And Nora reaching out to us for, on behalf of her brother saying, pray. He doesn't know the Lord. Um, they're saying his, his time is short. Pray, pray, pray. And here's what we have to understand. Sometimes we would say, oh, he came out of it. He's great and good. And we would go on about our way. And thank God his, her brother's doing better. But here's the thing, he's still lost. He's still lost, therefore we must keep praying for the greater miracle. The greater miracle. Understand that, brothers and sisters. God, we, we pray for miracles, we pray for these things, but yet that's not the greatest miracle. The greatest miracle is God taking what is dead and trespasses and sins and bringing it to life. We can see someone in the hospital at the worst possible condition and God can bring them out of it by some form of common grace and yet they can still die and go to hell. May we never miss that. So it, it is desperation that drives people to Jesus. It's desperation that drove this father to come to Jesus. It drove the centurion and the Canaanite woman begging for healing. And to this father, Jesus says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will not believe. And this father said, look, verses 48 and 49, the father, the official says, sir, come down before my child dies. So this man believed that Jesus could heal people, but he didn't yet believe that Jesus could raise dead people. And Jesus says, you believe me because I'm a miracle worker. And that's fine. I am. But that's not enough. That's not enough. Thankfully, in this story in John 4, we find a double healing that takes place. Not only is there a physical healing, there is also a spiritual healing. Don't miss it. That's the point. That's the point of this whole story. Is not just that a son was healed, but that a family was saved. That is the point. Don't miss it. So think about the miracles of Jesus. And let me tell you one thing that the miracles were not. And I've already said this. The miracles of Jesus were not a means for Jesus to show off or gain any attention or anything for himself. Not once in the Bible or any other sources it ever suggest that Jesus used the miracles to advance himself or his followers. Jesus was not a street magician that was trying to draw a crowd. 
That is not the picture. The picture is Jesus was the Son of God who, was, who had come to save sinners. So everything Jesus did revolved around the kingdom of God and saving sinners. Just think about the miraculous here. Don't miss the miraculous. I think of the words of C.S. Lewis again. He says, one is very often asked, as present, whether we could not have a Christianity stripped or, as people who ask it say, freed from its miraculous elements. A Christianity with the miraculous elements suppressed. So listen to what he's saying. He's saying, I've often asked, or people are asking me, can we still be Christians and have Christianity if all the miracles were stripped away from it? And he said this, now it seems to me that precisely the one religion in the world, or at least the only one I know, with which you could not do that is Christianity. And I love what he says here. The Christian story is precisely the story of one grand miracle. If you take that away, there is nothing specifically Christian left. There may be many admirable human things which Christianity shares with all other systems in the world, but there would be nothing specifically Christian. So Christianity, the whole gospel that we talk about, is one story, one miraculous story. Think of it like this. One God, holy, righteous, all-powerful God, created all things that we see by his grace and created us. Yet we who were created in the image of God had the audacity, this is a different kind of audacity, to look at this God who created us and say, no, not going to follow you. I'm going to do what I want to do. And every single one of us has made that declaration to this holy God. And yet God covers Adam and Eve when they did it. And God pursues them. And more people come and they're running away from God. And yet God pursues them and draws them back and pursues them and draws them back and makes covenants and all of these things. And even brings punishment for the sake of, of their sins. But we see this all throughout the Old Testament of a, of a sinful people running from God. And yet God in his grace pursuing them. Finally we get to the Gospels and we see Jesus coming to earth in the form of a baby, the God-man. He was 100% God, 100% man, and he lived a life that we could never live. And I always say a life of perfection, and that is it, but don't miss all of the amazing things that he did in that life or in that three years of ministry. Then he died a death that none of us could die, a death for the sins of the world. And then he conquered an enemy that none of us could conquer he conquered death and he conquered the grave so that if we confess with our mouth that jesus is lord and believe in our hearts that god has raised him from the dead we will be saved Amen. that that one gospel story from beginning to end that one miracle from beginning to end is pointing to the miracle of our salvation don't miss that so what are we talking about when we say, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved? What are we talking about? Do we mean believe in him as a miracle worker? For he miraculously accomplished our salvation and we see him doing all of these works. Yes, we, we believe in him as a miracle worker, but it's not enough. Do we believe his words to be the very words of God? Yes, we do. When he spoke, God spoke. More than that, we believe in the full person and the gracious work of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. In fact, 
Let me, let me read one more verse to you. In John 1.12, it says this. It says, But to all who did receive him, who believed him, or believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, we get the believing part, but what about the receiving part? To all who received him. Received him as what? We must receive him for who he is. And who he is is the only son of God and the only savior of sinners in the world. Therefore, when John writes, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the son of God and that by believing you may have life in his name. That's what John desired. We believe we have life in his name. We receive him for who he is. We have life in his name. And here's the beautiful thing. Think about John 4, that very day. That little family and their household had life in his name. They had life in his name. And let me ask you this question. Where are you on that line? It's pretty hard to deny that Jesus was a miracle worker. That is, would be impossible to kind of deny that Jesus was a miracle worker. It would be contrary to history to say that Jesus wasn't a miracle worker. But that's not what Jesus was after. Jesus wasn't after just for us to say, he's a miracle worker. No, there's more to it. You can call him the greatest miracle worker that ever lived, or you can say he's the greatest teacher that ever lived. But let me say this, that's not enough. It's not enough. You have to believe him for who he is. He is the son of God, and you have to come to him for who he is, the savior of the world, meaning we can't save ourselves. We are deserving of all of his just wrath, and we must come to him and rest in what he has done for us. He is the only way to God. Let me just end in this way. If you've never done that, then there is a distance right now between you and God. There's a distance between you and him. And the only way for that distance to be brought together is by walking across a bridge that you can't create on your own. So there's a huge chasm between you and God. And the only way across is the cross. It's through Jesus Christ. We walk through him and live in him and through him and in him. We have eternal life. Which is we're able to know God now and we're able to be with him forever. Have you called upon the name of the Lord for salvation? Or let me also say this. When I think about that title, Healed from a Distance. Maybe you're here this morning and you feel distant from God. And let me just say this. If you feel distant from God, the distance, the distance is not in him. It's in you. It's in me. If you are here today and you feel that distance between you and him, call out to him today in faith. Call out to him today in repentance. Call out to him today in desperation. And here's what I know. His word will fill the distance between you and him. And even better than that, his presence will meet you right where you are. That is the promise today, his presence will meet you right where you are and it will be a glorious glorious thing i'm going to ask you to go ahead and stand and we are going to call brother frank and the musicians down as we enter into a time of invitation and consecration let's pray together father we come before you and lord we we thank you that you are the, a miraculous god you are all powerful there is nothing impossible nothing too difficult for you
And we just thank you for the great miracle of salvation, that your word says it's impossible with man. But, oh, we praise you that it's possible with you. I pray for anyone in this place that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. Father, I pray for those across this room that are struggling right now in the midst of, of hurts and pains and sicknesses and things that we desperately long for a miracle to happen. And yet, Lord, we know, according to your word, that the greatest prayer that we can pray is, God, show your glory. Show your glory. In our sickness, God, show your glory. In our pain, show your glory. In our uncertainty, God, show forth your glory. And Father, I pray for those in this room today that know you, but yet are distant from you. The beautiful thing, Lord, is that you're working in their hearts even right now. Showing that you're not distant from them. Showing that you're at work, God. Oh, may they cry out to you in desperation and faith, God. May they cry out to you in repentance. And Lord, you will meet them right where they are. God, we praise you and thank you that you are a God who meets us right where we are. But you never intend to keep us right where we are. You always desire to bring us to where you are. And help us never to forget that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Without Him I could do nothing. Without Him I surely fail. Without Him I would be drifting like a ship without a sail Jesus oh Jesus do you know him today do not turn him away oh Jesus oh Jesus Father, that we are all needy people. 
We are all broken people. And Father, we need you. And Lord, we also confess that we need each other. We need each other. We don't need to fake it till we make it. We need to be real and God admit that we are hurting people. But that we can encourage other people and be encouraged that our hope is not in our strength, but in yours. So encourage us today in that, God. Our strength and our hope is not in us, it's in you. Lord, we just pray that you continue to meet needs, Lord, um, across this faith family, Father, and just meet the financial needs that we have. Use your people like God right here in this community and to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And you may be seated. May we never forget that we love Jesus because he first loved us. A uh, couple of quick announcements. Number one, um, we have set up a mill train for Brother Joe and Miss Carolyn. 
Um, it is on uh, Facebook and on, online, um, but if you need any help with that or, or would like to sign up, you can see Christina Nelson, who's right over here, and you can see her and get signed up, and let's just do everything we can to, to help them out and to encourage um, them and continue to pray. Also, secondly, we mentioned last week and brought to your attention our needs for new projectors. Um, praise God, we are... Um, already about 15% of the way, so we just continue to, to pray for that and to bring the need before you um, and just uh, give as the Lord leads. And then lastly, we do have our Others First Sunday, so our ushers will be at the doors, and if you are led to give to this amazing ministry, um, we would appreciate that and thank you for joining us as a church and just being um, in a, a amazing um, ministry and an amazing um, blessing and encouragement to this community. With that said, you are dismissed.
Good morning. Let's try that one more time. Good morning. There we go. Welcome to the First Baptist Church of Ocean Way. Um, oops. Just a couple of announcements this morning. Uh, today is Others First Sunday. Uh, there'll be ushers um, at each exit uh, as you leave, if you can give towards that. 